Welcome to the StatMed Podcast, where we teach you how to study in med school and how to pass board-style tests. Your hosts are Ryan Orwig and David LaSalle, learning specialists who have decades of experience working with med students and physicians. In this episode, Ryan and Dave discuss how to tell if you're a bad test taker or if you just weren't prepared for the test. Then they dig into three common mistakes med students and doctors make on board exams. A truly bad test taker. They're just repeating the same three, four, maybe five mistake patterns over and over and over on like an infinite loop. And since they can't see uh, the pattern, there's no way they can fix it. And that's why these things, like even if they've done hundreds or thousands of questions, they haven't fixed the behavior. Here are Ryan and Dave. Hey, Ryan Orwig and David LaSalle here with StatMed Learning. We talk about studying, timing, and testing in medical education. And today we're going to talk about types of test-taking misses, bad test-takers experience. Yeah, so people call us up um, because they are struggling with board exams. Maybe they've failed a, a board exam. Maybe they, they failed some shelf exams, or maybe they're taking practice tests and uh, they're learning from their practice tests that they are at risk of failing or, or, or just really just not where they wanna be in terms of test taking. So one of the first things that we need to parse out is, uh, is it actually a test taking issue? Because we deal with uh, folks who are struggling to bring content on board to lock it into long-term memory in effective ways so they can get at it when they need it. So that's really more of a study issue. But then we also deal with plenty of people who are specifically struggling with interfacing with the exams themselves, who are experiencing test-taking problems. What we found is that there are patterns that show up again and again and again. Uh, So we've been able to identify some specific mistypes that happen as people are working with these questions. And there's about 15 of these things, but the good news is that most people don't experience 15 of them. You know, everybody's got their own particular constellation of test taking, uh, misses their favorites, if you will. So uh, chances are, if you're struggling with test taking, that three or four of these might pertain to you, uh, but they're costing you a lot of points. Yeah, what I see see with it is, it's like a a truly bad test taker. They're just... repeating the same three, four, maybe five mistake patterns over and over and over on like an infinite loop. And since they can't see uh, the pattern, there's no way they can fix it. And that's why these things, like even if they've done hundreds or thousands of questions, they haven't fixed the behavior because they can't see it. It's just like, oh, that was a dumb mistake. Oh, I, I, how did, how did that happen? or that was careless, or however they define it in really fuzzy language, they're not able to see where the boundary lines, the inbounds and out of bounds are, and therefore they don't know when they're skidding out of bounds, right? Yeah, I think um, an analogy that that I think you used to use, uh, I don't think I made this up, is the idea of like when my car stops functioning and I pop open the, the hood of the car, I can look at the motor. And I could be like, well, this car is not working. It is not doing uh, what I want it to do. And I don't know why. I couldn't even tell you what the different parts of the engine are. So yeah, so job one is to figure out what are the different parts of the engine? What are the different parts of the problem and how do we attack them? 
And then we can figure out what exactly is it that's going on so that we can begin to fix it. The other analogy I use is imagine you're a really good basketball player and you have all the tools uh, technically, tactically, uh, strategically to be a really good basketball player, except you see the sidelines as about two feet narrower than they really are, and then the baselines about three or four feet, feet deeper than they really are. So you're out there playing with everybody and you're a good basketball player, but then sometimes people are like inbounding the, like inbounding the ball and you slap it out of their hands or you're dribbling out of like way out of bounds and it's clear to everybody else you're out of bounds. Like what is wrong with him? Um, you're not a very good basketball player in that sense. Nobody wants to play with you. You can't effectively operate within the game. So it's, if you can, you know, give them the special glasses to see the boundary lines like, Oh, whoa, all of a sudden you go from useless to really good. Uh, and for something that's re relatively not that important to the game of basketball or, you know, sort of a fundamental thing that people overlook, like what, they just write that basketball player off. So that's the other one. So you get the old car thing is an old one with the, with the engine, but then the basketball, uh, seeing the boundary lines. Like how can you be a good basketball player if you can't understand those boundary lines? You, you can't. Um, yeah. So that sort of gets into the test taking stuff, I think, right? You know, there's, there, you, there are gonna be times for the good test taker that they just don't know enough and therefore they missed it. Somebody might contact us and say, I need help, I'm failing my boards, I'm failing my shelves, I'm failing my in-services, I'm failing my pre-tests, whatever. And therefore, I'm a bad test taker. Maybe, maybe that's the problem, or maybe you just don't know enough. And that's where the, that's where the conversation has to start. The conversation has to start with, okay, you're contacting us because there's, a, there's an issue with test performance um i'm not performing on test the way that i would like well, why do you think you should be doing better well i think i should be doing better because well maybe student a is say i study all the time what's that mean to me you know uh I, so again part of this is like we got to help we got to help them suss it out we got to help them pull that i mean that's a fair thing to call us and say um it's just then we have to ask the right questions to get to where we want to go. And that's a fine starting point. So then with student A, you, you say, well, okay, you, you talk to them about their study, you talk to them about what that looks like, but then you start, then I think we have to go into, I mean, the, 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 the easiest template would be, okay, let's imagine you do a bunch of UWorld or whatever bank you're using. Um, if it's an emergency medicine doc, what, what you know, out, out of Roche or whatever Rosh, you're using, but yeah, whatever you're using, right? Um, let's imagine you do 10 questions and you miss 10 questions. No, I'm sorry, you do X amount of questions, whatever, and you miss 10. You have 10 missed questions. You read the answer explanations. How many of those do you feel like would be just, I was going to miss that no matter what. I either, I studied it, couldn't remember it, uh, which is still a knowledge miss. Some people want to say that's a test taking miss. Like, oh, I should have known it. No, that's, I don't care if you've studied it. I don't care if you've heard it. If you did not remember it, it is a knowledge miss. You know, never saw it or I had it encoded wrong, learned wrong. All right, those are all knowledge misses, right? Um, but the other side is that, that test taking miss. How many of them do you realize, oh, I, I, I looked at this one clue, I ignored the other clues. I didn't answer, the thing I chose wasn't really answering the question being asked. I narrowed down the two, talked myself out of the right answer, went to the wrong answer. I realized now that's a bad thing. Uh, I added a clue that wasn't there. I, I lost a clue that was there. 
all that stuff's test taking misses, right? And so that's, I think that's where you have to start when you're talking about this knowledge versus test taking split. Um, is that fair or where, where else might well, we start? For sure, for sure, yeah. And, and, and there's remedies to both. I mean, you know, if you're having knowledge deficit, there's remedies to that. They're just, they're just on the study end of things. Yes, so if, if it's like you gotta go through multiple doors to get to, I can pass my test, I mean, it could just be as simple as door, door door number one is knowledge, like encoding, retrieval, random access, all that, the study side. And then the other, the door two is is the um, is the test taking, showing what I know consistently on the test. I mean, you but you've got to be able to do the first one versus the second. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know this anecdote. If I, I don't know if I've told you this one. So think about with the knowledge versus the test taking. Um, let's say you want to build a an airplane in your in your garage. So this have you heard the story? I'll tell it anyway. Like my grandfather, I don't you no, remember I don't my my grandfather uh, built a World War One era like biplane, like a two seater biplane. He was a pilot. Um, things I remember about him is he had a he had a clock in his house, and the clock was like a, the propeller of a plane, and it had the yep. clock fixed in it. And then the picture beside it was like a plane, like a Cessna on its nose in a, in a field. So that, that, that propeller came from the, the you know, the, the plane he wrecked, he was like, hey, any, any, any uh, landing you can walk away from. So, you know, I never, I never flew with grandpa because right. yeah. my, mom, my mom wasn't letting that happen wisely. So he then decides to build this biplane in his garage. And this is scary, like genetic legacy stuff, I guess, but he built, like he builds this thing for years and at some point when it's almost done, he had, he makes this horrific revelation. He, he realizes like he can't get it out of the garage. It's not mm, gonna fit out because it's a yeah. attached garage. So there's probably this moment where he's like, uh. so he's, got, he's, got, he's got two choices. He can uh, take the plane apart to get it out or he can deconstruct the garage. Yeah. And so what do, you do? what do you do? He took the, he took the, he took the garage apart. That yeah, it took, yeah. <laughs> took, took months. So yeah, the, and, and yeah, he flew that thing and then he survived. I mean, he never crashed it, but I never, I never went up with it. So what, what, was, what is that? How does that re relate? You know, so you can, so if it's a test taking issue, you can build the airplane, right? You can have this fully functional airplane. That's your knowledge in this convoluted metaphor, right? Like okay. you can have the airplane that totally works, to was gonna, is gonna hold up, up, down, land, all that jazz, right? But if you can't get it out of the garage, it's no good. So the garage being the meta, the, the test taking, right? So gotcha. it, it gets there. Uh, so right, but that but that's where I think it has to start. It has to start with: is this a knowledge miss, or is it a test taking miss? Um, and and the, I think that's the, again the conversation where we start is: okay, so you've got this knowledge thing, and again, it's not an exact science. Uh, trying to figure this out, um, but if the overwhelming majority, if the overwhelming majority of the misses are test taking in nature, I mean that again, that it's got to be fixed. You can't get the plane out of the garage. It, it's got to be fixed because otherwise, the the so I mean, well, let, let's okay. If you're a bad test taker, what's your take on how do you compensate? How do you get by? How do people who are bad test takers survive in this medical field with classroom exams, with steps and levels, with specialty boards? 
what, what do you, how, how do you think they survive? I, I think, oh gosh, I think there's a lot of energy output and I think there's a lot of struggle and like a heartbreaking sure. amount of struggle. I think that, that there's a lot of uh, grinding on question banks and trying to know everything. I think that's oftentimes yeah. people's remedy is they mm -hmm. want to know everything in that, order to pass that's, the exam. That's, that, that, that's, that's my short take on it. Yeah. Is if you are a systematically bad, consistently bad test taker, that's not going to go anywhere. It's just there. It's part of the system. The way they compensate is just knowing so much more than everybody yeah. else. They just, it's like being overly muscular instead of like fluid and fluent. Again, I mean, I, I, I'm not a big swimmer, but you know, I grew up swimming and like lifeguard and pool and all that stuff, but I'm not like some, somebody who, who knows a ton about swimming, but the idea would be somebody who just isn't like, you know, swimming and just churning the raw muscle as opposed to somebody who really understands how to like glide through the water with proper, proper strokes. Uh, it's dramatically different, you know? So if we're saying that bad test taking is behavioral, that there are things that you are doing or not doing that are causing you to miss questions. Uh, the way I think of it, it's not like we are the plumbers where you come to us and you say, okay, my, my sink isn't working, please fix my sink. And then we go and we do whatever we do and all of a sudden your sink works. And you know, that'd be nice if that were the case. It's more like we are the physical therapists where you come in and you say, I'm having these, these issues with, with my back or my shoulder. And we've got to figure out exactly what it is that's going on. We've got to be able to take it apart, diagnose it. And then what we're going to do is we're going to help you understand where the breakdown is happening. We're going to help you identify what it is that you need to be doing consistently, differently, in order to remedy the situation. And even then, you're still not done. You've still got to go run the exercise a whole bunch of times in order to strengthen those muscles and get that limberness uh before before the the problem is going to be resolved the good news is there's not an infinite number of uh errors uh, error types that that people make there's a finite number of these uh, mm -hmm. i don't know exactly what that number is i feel like every once in a while i stumble across a new one i have one um, right now percolating that i think is interesting uh but there's you know 14 15 16 that we have categorized as uh, specific test taking misses that we see people do again and again and again. Specific discrete behaviors that people are engaging in during working a question that are costing them those questions. Yeah. So the first one that we can talk about, and we, we have these sort of broadly categorized, we break down the, the, the working of a test question into three phases. Our first phase, uh, I think of it as the reading phase. That's where we're really interacting with uh, the, the prompt, the specific question being asked, and the vignette. And then we've got our second phase where we're dealing with the answer set. And then our third phase doesn't always play out, but if we have a tie, uh, a couple answers that are equally strong, then we've got to have some tiebreak methodology down there as well. So that's our, our third phase that kicks in sometimes. So uh, in our first phase, in our, our reading phase, the very first thing that we tell our clients to do every single time that they engage with a question is to go and read that prompt first, that last sentence in the vignette, the one that tells you exactly what question is being asked here. So right out of the gate, there are people who are uh, attacking the prompt in ways that are biting them, 
in ways that are costing yeah, them. And that has become a very, like, that's like a pretty well-known strategy now, start with the last sentence, mm -hmm. as opposed to say 15 years ago, that was much more of a novel approach. Um, so a lot of people like, like that, or if you're looking for test taking advice, that's probably one of the ones that people have heard of, start with the last sentence first. Um, and unfortunately, just starting with the last sentence first doesn't fix all that ails you, even with this problem alone. That's the most like, that's like one of the craziest parts about it mm -hmm. is people say like, oh, I know I'm supposed to do it and I only do it sometimes. Well, if you're not doing it all the time, you're putting yourself at risk because if you're like, it's such an, it's such an essential anchor point. Um, if your reading is getting overwhelmed, we know from reading theory, if we know what we're looking for, it's going to augment the engagement and retention. Um, but if you, you know, choose not to always do it, it's almost like saying, and then I'll ask people, well, when will you read the last sentence? Well, when I remember it or when I think it's important. Mm -hmm. How do you know when it's going to be important? And again, look, if, if you're a good test taker or if your friend's a good test taker and that's what they do, more power to them. With the prompt, if you selectively read it when you when you need it, that's like saying I'm only going to put my kid in their car seat when I feel like we might be in a crash. Otherwise, I'm just going to let them roll around in the back like it's like like it's 1980 and they can have a good time. But to me, reading that prompt first should be something you do all the time, every time. And then there's other problems with the prompt as well, right? Yeah. I'm this is a little bit of a tangent, I guess, but just to piggyback on what you were saying, I also am a big believer in stripping extraneous decisions out of testing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, what an exam is, what a board exam is or a shelf exam, it's really just a thousand tiny decisions that you have to make one after another, after another, after another. There's um, a pretty well-known story about um, Barack Obama that when he was the president, he wore uh, more or less the same suit all the time uh, in just a few different shades. And uh, he was uh, talking about it, I think with Forbes magazine, and they were talking about that, asking about that. And he said, yeah, that's because my job is to make tons and tons and tons of, of very uh, 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 weighty decisions all day long. So that's one fewer decision that I have to make every day. Or we can think of Steve Jobs and his turtleneck or, or, or whatever it might be. So I think if we build in a decision point right away where it's like, well, sometimes I'm gonna do it this way and sometimes I'm gonna do it that way, we're gonna reach decision fatigue sooner. And this That's decision great. fatigue is real. And That's it's real. going to hit during your exam. So let's see if we can push that off as long as we can. Let's, let's strip out all those extraneous decisions about do I wanna take this path this time or this path this time? Why well, that's extra junk in there. Uh, a, a, a burden that they're putting on us. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so a big part of our philosophy is we want you to approach every question the same way all the time, every time. Now we say all the time, every time, there are always like a few, like very few exceptions. There are exceptions that we teach once you get into the system, but you can't build a system built around the exceptions. We have to build a, a blueprint, an, a graphical overlay that you as a test, a, 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 you know, a test, a test taker who wants to change their process can use all the time, every time. So that's, so that's, that's one obvious issue with the prompt is not, not tackling it first. Oftentimes what that leads to is a really general reading of our prompt. 
So we make that prompt generic. And, you know, I, I say again and again in testing, like the general is our enemy when it comes to testing. The specific is our friend. Um, you know, it's funny to hear you say like people, um, people think about the prompt, like, why should I bother? But it is the most important sentence in the world at that moment. It is the only question in the world that matters. And I can't tell you how many times I see people do a nice job of working their question and land on the wrong answer because they're answering the wrong question. And maybe what that means is they did read the prompt deliberately at first. Mm, yeah. Then, and it could be it could be that they don't from the outset. Okay, gone. Because your brain is not going to allow you to operate with like a giant like no question is being asked. Like your brain right. is going to autofill. Yeah. So you're going to make it really generic, or you're thinking too clinically. So you're thinking in the sense of I guess as, as I mean as a physician, I was talking to this interventional cardiologist uh, that I'm working with. I was talking to him the other day, and this guy, I mean. Like he's operating on people's hearts every day. This is, this is like his concert. This guy's been doing this for you know longer than I've been alive. And his problem is he thinks too clinically. So what does that mean? Well, as a physician, that means he comes in. He's like he's building out the timeline. So he's thinking about all the things the patient's done and what they've been through and what their chief complaint is and why they're coming in. And then they're trying to think like this is where we are, and then like this is where we might go depending on what we find out and what happens, always forking potential timelines, potential continuums. These tests are built to emulate that and look like that, but they're illusions of it. They're just asking for a single fixed point on that timeline. And if so, if you're operating too clinically, yeah. and again, I think people say you don't think, like sometimes they say think clinically, sometimes they say don't think clinically, whatever, that's all just a bunch of noise. That's kind of what's happening, at least for people like him. And so he's got to learn to, to really see that timeline and see this is where we are, this is what I would do next or, or whatever the question's asking. Um, but yeah, people, people lose sight of the question being asked. Maybe from the outset, maybe they, maybe they have it as they're navigating through the passage, through the mm -hmm. clinical vignette and, and, or may, and then they lose it once they get to the answer options or maybe they keep a hold of it all the way through and they're working the answer options in that second phase, and then they lose it, or they get to a tie break and then they lose it. And at yeah. the end of the day, they end up choosing something that's not the specific question being asked. And again, you can see it anywhere from the first, they lose it in the first five to 10 seconds, all the way through at the 70, 70 seconds or 80 seconds or whatever it might be. Is that fair? Is that sort of what you're saying? Yeah, and it's such unnecessary point bleed. It's so unnecessary because yeah. The good news about the prompt is it's really easy to find. It's always in the same place. And you can check back in with it at any point along the way. I guess we should, that, that will let's pivot to another test-taking miss. So when we talk about other types of test-taking misses, uh, the next one might be what we call the triangulation fail. Uh, failure of what we call the act of triangulation. So they maybe you can articulate you can say what triangulation means where that happens and how it works sure yeah so after you've read the prompt after you've read the question the, the last sentence in, in the in the passage that tells you the specific question that you're trying to answer then you're going to go ahead and, and actually read your vignette uh so as you're reading that clinical vignette uh, we want to read that clinical vignette neutrally and we'll talk more uh, in more detail about that in another video uh, but after we have seen 
everything in the passage. After we have read one time through the passage, what we are going to ask ourselves is, what's in there that's valuable? What are the most valuable clues in there to me as I go to assess my answers down below? What are the specifics that are, that are involved in this passage? And we are going to grab three. Yeah, go back, go back, select three clues. And, and again, like maybe, and as you get better at this, maybe this always becomes its own discrete step. Maybe you, you end up learning how to sort of sort and cipher it as you go. But what you want to do is go back and say like, you know, what are the three main clues? Now, main, main initial complaints against this are going to be, there's more than three key clues. Of course, I need everything. Yeah. We know, we know, we know. Uh, it's all valuable. But we want you to go back and select three key clues. Now, they, they, what, what, what are some just generic big picture arguments for doing a triangulation? Like, why is that a valuable thing? Like, to pick three, even if there's some that I, like, there's more than three clues. What are, what sure. would you say are some of the main arguments for this strategy? So, I mean, I think the number one argument is that oftentimes what people are trying to do is they're trying to hoover up everything. They're trying to grab every detail and cram it in and hang on to it. Uh, and then they're going to hang on to all of that as they go to work answers. What's going to happen there is that we're going to overload your working memory system, your sort of mental chalkboard where you, you put your little notes while you're working on something complex. That system gets overloaded, and then what happens is you end up dropping clues without even realizing that it's happening, and then you don't know what you have and what you don't have. So it's not like we're saying pick three things because we like the number three or because we are trying to instill some weird discipline. We're saying pick three because we have to be selective. It's not like we want to be selective. We have to be selective. You know, right. when, I, when I go on vacation, I would love to bring all of my clothes with me. Who knows what party I might get invited to where I need a tuxedo, you know? But my, my luggage only holds so much. So I have to be selective about what I'm going to pack and bring with me. Same thing here. My working memory can only hold so many items at a time effectively. Yeah. Uh, so I've got, I've got to be choosing. Right. Yeah. You have to be. So, and this, the act of being selective is much more constructive and inter, interactive. Um, one thing that can happen is if you if you if you're not, you know, forced to have some kind of construct like a triangulation, you either maybe really remember nothing specific, mm -hmm. so you get down there and you really remember. I mean, you remember stuff, but it's so random. Maybe you're only remembering clues that are, like, just super general, uh, making any random options fit. Uh, or you grab onto, and what happens, you remember a bunch of stuff and one key clue. Yep. And then who knows what kind of damage you can do with a single, what we call a single point of contact down below. So triangulation offsets that and it builds a framework. It builds a micro framework that you can then build off of and other things can stick to and you can chunk and link other stuff to it. Um, so it's, it's it's an important act again to prime your brain for and to train with what other thoughts on people who so again these are mistypes so someone might say well i had a triangulation fail so mm -hmm. what 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 does that mean just succinctly you think I mean, you know, one version of it is I really just didn't triangulate. I nope. really just didn't do it. I, yeah. I saw one exciting clue and I had that aha moment and lightning struck and I knew exactly what was going on. And that contaminated all my reading from that moment forward. Yeah. Uh, and that's just broken process. I don't think that we have to be perfectionistic in our triangulation. I think people get very hung up sometimes about like, I got to find exactly the right triangulation right. as though... 
the question writer had like buried the secret treasure map somewhere in right. the question and they had to pick out exactly the right things. It's not, it's not I don't game. buy that. Hmm. Yeah, I don't buy that. I mean, the answer is preset and everything in that passage has to support that answer. So as long as we do a decent, thoughtful job of triangulation, we're going to be okay. We don't want to be casual or careless about it, uh, but we don't have to be perfectionistic or, or too, too, too terribly precious about it either. 100%. I like using it to say, okay, you missed this question. How did you do up in the passage with your triangulation? Well, here are the main clues that I really grabbed onto. And then you can then we, then we make a decision, well, were those clues effective enough to get you to where you needed to be? Yeah, yeah, they were. Okay, good. But let's say, you know, they, they say, you know, actually they weren't because I basically filled up on all these like really like generic, low-hanging, like non-differential type clues. And then I really ignored this really weird clue over here and this really like contradictory clue down here. I just kind of didn't know what to do with it. So I, I, I left it off. Um, and then we say, okay, so th this would have been your triangulation when you missed it. Yeah. And you write, and we make a, it's better to write it out, make it external and explicit. People don't want to do it, but sorry, we're just the messengers. Um, that's how that's, that's how you change your, your behavior. Um, and then we say, now write out what your triangulation should have been. And again, I think if you, uh, and it, it depends on severity of issue. Um, and again, I don't think that that's certainly not the majority of this stuff, but we do see people that really struggle with it. So by sure. reflecting on what they did wrong, these are the things that I chose. And oftentimes it's like, I didn't really choose anything, but these yeah. are, or I chose just random things. Why, why did you choose these random things? And then you get into rationale there. And then it, it, that tends to shine uh, a light on the behavior because it's like a microcosm that then plugs into a bigger picture. And then you mm -hmm. can find ways to hack it um, yeah. with like the okay. geography the question, or maybe like what we call the pointy edge or what have you, and they can figure a way around it. Yeah, and you can get a little formulaic with it if somebody's really struggling. I mean, there are there are classes of information that we we probably want to grab onto. There are some categories of information that are oftentimes useful in triangulation, so we can point towards those. I I, I like you, your mention of um, somebody you know choosing to leave out contradictory clues or clues that they don't know how they factor in. Yeah. Um, I think. Uh, you see that a lot and i think so much bad test taking is emotionally motivated and it is driven by this need to feel comfortable and secure while we're taking these tests and i think the sooner we get okay with the idea that we are not going to be comfortable during this exam that there's going to be a lot of times we're not going to know exactly what's going on we're not going to have a firm diagnosis we're not going to know the answer for sure the better off we are well, that gets that, that 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 ties into that the the idea that we are supposed to know the answer when we click on it. Like I think in in a lot of people's hearts, certainly a lot of bad test takers' hearts, the idea is like when I click C, I want to know like yeah, and I think that's the expectation. That is like that is a toxic, toxic yeah. like. Like expectation, like do not expect that at all. I was working with this anesthesiologist years ago and she was like, well, the good news is, and she failed her like board say twice. And this is back when you could take it once a year. And she's like, well, the good news is when I take it this time, I'm going to feel good. And I was like, it was like right at the end of the workshop. I was like, whoa, 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 no, you're not. She's like, what, I'm not going to feel good? I was like, no. And she was like, it led to like an extra 30 minutes in the meeting. Yeah. And we were, we were like signing off. I was like, whoa. 
and it was a talk. And then I think I had to talk to her again, like a, a month later, because her month was, her test was like say three or four months out. And it was really just about like, where are you mentally with this? It is not about knowing like this is the answer. You're not going to know. I mean, what, like I ask, I'll ask like my emergency medicine docs, like what percentage of the time when you, you know, click the answer, you're like hundred percent. And if they tell me 50%, I'm like, you're lying. And they're like, you're right. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I want. Like, I, they, 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 I thought I was lowballing it, but it's like, no, yeah. you know, or, or, or I mean, even scaling it back to like prediction, like how often can you predict the answer? Yeah. You know, but, that right. Be- but that's, that's like a deep-seated myth in this testing. That's like one of those things that we just cling to. And I think it I think it influences triangulation where, you know, I'm looking at a passage and I say, well, if I if I pick these three clues, this looks a lot like scabies, but if I include this clue, I don't I don't know what it is then. Yeah. And so let me steer towards the comfortable answer and yeah. leave out that clue. Let me push that clue. So let me sweep it under the rug so I don't have to deal with it. But really, what my thinking should be at that point is, well, it looks a lot like scabies, but I know it isn't because I know this clue doesn't fit scabies. So and instead that, of then, in, yeah, yeah no. instead of my thinking then being like, well, let me go into my answers looking for scabies. Now I'm like, well, I think I think I've ruled out scabies um, because this I know this clue doesn't fit it. And even if I don't know what's going on, at least now I've got an accurate, honest picture of where I am instead of hiding clues from myself, pretending they're not there so that I get to feel more comfortable during the test. I would rather prioritize passing the test than feeling comfortable as I am choosing my triangulation points. Yeah, well, yeah. And then, so then with a failed triangulation makes you feel better in the test because it lets you pick scabies with confidence. Right. Even though in the, in the final analysis, you, you, you would realize, well, if, if anything, I should not pick scabies because I know that this clue I'm, I'm, I'm disregarding doesn't fit with scabies. Yeah. 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 So again, it's, it's interesting, like trying to talk about these individual mistypes, you know, it, 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 it filters into entangles and other stuff. So yeah, triangulation fail is to me, whenever we can go back and say, this like I, I grabbed onto these clues or I didn't really grab onto any clues. And then we say, well, if I grabbed onto these three clues or these three, I mean, it can be more than one often. Yeah. Then I'm then I'm better off. Um, and that's sort of how the triangulation fail works. You have to make the mistake. You have to understand the name of the mistake and, and how the mistake works. Then you do a bunch of questions. You find examples where you did mess up like, oh, right here. Look, I grabbed this. And if I grabbed this, then I would have gotten it right. This is how I missed it. This is how I would have gotten it right. That's how you realize it. And, and it's through that self-reflection that you grow self-monitoring skills so that you can regulate yourself in the run of play. Again, this is common practice in sports and other aspects of behavior, behavioral change. We just need to, I mean, it, it totally applies in test taking. You just need a construct um, to practice that. So that that I think that wraps up triangulation failure, right? I think so. Good. Um, so another mistype would be what we call the neutral read failure. So this is, we're still up in the vignette, in the main paragraph of the question. And what we want, part of our philosophy is that you need to read that passage neutrally. Mm-hmm. You're really collecting the information and saying, what do I have here? So a neutral read failure means you didn't do that. You contaminated it. 
Is that is that a fair summary of a neutral read failure? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and 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 I, and I think that that contamination can happen a couple different ways, mm -hmm. right? One way the contamination can happen is that as I start reading the question, uh, I read my prompt, I start reading my passage, and then um, my emotions run away with me one way or another. It might be like, oh, good, I love this topic, I'm totally going to crush this one, mm -hmm. or it might be, oh no. I hate this topic. I yeah. was really hoping they weren't going to ask this question. Yeah. And either way, when that stuff pops up, and it's fine that it pops up, right? You're not going to turn yourself into a robot. It's going to happen. Yeah. But, but how, how does it influence you, right? How does it manifest? Right. And, and, and ideally, it should not change what you're doing at all. You've got a process to run. You've got a job to do, right? So yes. it doesn't matter if I feel overjoyed at this question or desolate at this question right. uh it doesn't it's change fine, what i have to do to it's feel, irrelevant it's fine to feel any and all of those emotions throughout the course of the test but you can't let that up in your boat and flip you over and it's right. like here's where i am okay and then you can't let it so that like you can't let it flip you over but you also can't let it t to throw you off course um yeah. so the new so and, and again it could be like you see a, a one clue at the beginning and then it makes you yeah then you just blah 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 wah 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 over the rest of the clues you never factor them in uh it could be that you skim over the answer choices i don't like that but you skim over the answer choices and you see neurofibromas down there and then you shape the reading of the passage to fit neurofibromas that's not neutral um like you said it might be like oh no this is a terrible topic for me and then you're you know you've got you've got like a, a like a, a an anxiety haze glazing over it again if i have a system i can lean on the system and sort of cut through that fog yeah, um, yeah. and so then you know part of this fail this the neutral refailure has to be recognized after the fact and you're like oh you know what like i i didn't read neutrally because of xyz you have to be able to name it. This is what I did that made me not read it neutrally. This is what biased me. And again, that's not going to fix it up front, but by continuing to use the the language and the categorization, and you realize that, then then you start to get your head wrapped around it. You start to get your emotions under control. You start to regulate. But that might take, you know, several iterations. But you're not going to get better at it unless you can name it. You got to name the enemy before you can contain that enemy. Uh, that behavior. What is that? Is that does that cover all the neutral read stuff? I mean, again, that's this is one of those ones that you sort of explain up front, and then you really start to troubleshoot it once you start seeing if it's happening in in the run of play with uh, feedback. I think. Yeah, I I, I guess I just want to mention um, you had sort of mentioned springboarding off of one clue. Uh, mm -hmm. I just I think I think the neutral read is hard because it runs counter to what we do in our everyday reading. Um, what we do in our everyday reading. Anticipation and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, our brains our brains are hypothesis machines. They're gonna kick up hypotheses and that's fine, right? That's how like, reading works. Reading works by making predictions and then revising those, re those predictions as we go. And we're not, and we're also not saying not to do that. That's where it gets like, you've gotta really just see this organically in the run of play. This is definitely one of the more like, it's vague, but, very customized to the individual so we're not saying like don't think like as you read you should be thinking and predicting 
but it's a, it's a line. There's a line there. And I think mm -hmm. so many of our people go so far over that line with, with predicting, uh, with, uh, anticipating with, um, trying to like the interaction is so over the top that by pulling it back to the neutral read, maybe it helps calm things down. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the, the error lies in when your brain kicks up a hypothesis, do you fall in love with it? Do you grab onto it with both hands with a death grip? Because what happens is if, and it's so easy for that to happen where we get one or two clues on board and we're like, ah, oh, I think I know what's going on and it feels good. And I can relax a little bit more. But yeah. then what happens is as I continue to read, my brain has set up a filter. If, if I think that the diagnosis is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, as I continue to read, the only clues that are making their way through my filter are the ones that fit hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Cognitive dissonance. It's a format. It's a form of cognitive dissonance where at that point, I'm only going to you know, recognize the clues that validate the hypothesis instead of trying to shoot holes in it. And then it's amazing because when you do that work of looking back after the fact, that's when people are like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that was in there. Yeah. That clue that was like three quarters of the way down the passage, it was invisible. Yeah. And, 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 and it's a magic trick our brains did. Yeah. They're not going to say like, I didn't read it. They're like, I, my eyes, like you, like yeah. my eyes went over it. Uh, I'll have people do like, like I used to like sit and have people, the way I built all this is like having people read out loud and you would think like reading out loud, they would catch it. Like I, I'm like I heard you say those words. I'm like yeah, I, I don't know, but yeah, they, they, it's because they set that set that filter, and that is absolutely a failure of the neutral read. Very learnable, very learnable. Yeah. Um, but again, it, it 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 is definitely one of those, and this is more of an insidious like underlying uh, test taking issue, and it does tie into other aspects of the system. You, this is why we don't go in and try to fix. Like we don't go in and say we're going to try to fix neutral read we that's that's too in we want to like i want to tear down we, we want to tear down the entire system and install our system and you learn our system whole end to end all the way through and then that helps us fix it that's that's probably a fair saying right uh, yeah i mean everything is connected it's all connected <laughs> it's all connected Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the StatMed podcast. In future episodes, Ryan and Dave will discuss additional ways test takers can go wrong on the boards. If you liked this show, be sure to rate it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. You can find more test taking and studying strategies specifically designed for med students and physicians over at our blog on statmedlearning.com. Thanks for listening.